I want parents to embrace struggling, not knowing, not having answers. And instead of turning the spotlight onto how to change my child or I need another list or I need another expert, to look inside and say, what is my struggle about? What's hurting me here? Right? Is there anything I can do about it or not? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm Debbie Reber, and today I'm talking with Megan Leahy, a certified parent coach, parenting columnist for The Washington Post, and former school counselor and teacher. As mother to three children herself, Megan considers herself to be a heart-centered parent coach in a data-driven world and writes about this idea in her new book, Parenting Outside the Lines. Forget the rules, tap into your wisdom, and connect with your child. I was excited to talk with Megan about her book and her relatable in-the-trenches approach to parenting, trusting your gut, valuing connection, and knowing when to question the norms. And if you've been paying attention to this podcast, you know that this is what we're all about at Tilt Parenting. Today, we'll get into Megan's thoughts on parenting theories, shunning the endless shoulds of modern parenting, and embracing imperfection and vulnerability. And now, here is my conversation with Megan. Hello, Megan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about your brand spanking new book, actually, and the book comes out today, like not the day we're recording this, but the day that you all are listening to this. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to get all into it. But I always ask my guests to introduce themselves. And I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you do and your personal why for the work that you do, and maybe a little bit about your, your personal life, you know, your family makeup. Okay, my name's Megan Leahy. And I am a parenting coach. I live in Washington, D.C., but my clients live everywhere, all over the world. I've been writing for the Washington Post since 2013 or 2014. I do a weekly parenting column for them. And I have a brand new book out, which is crazy. And um, I have three girls, 16 and a half. 13 and 10, two dogs, one husband. And I grew up in Delaware, which is an important part of my life because uh, Northern Delaware is a very interesting place and has definitely made me who I am today. I started as a teacher for gifted boys in in an all-boys school. And uh, I was not a great teacher, but I loved being with the kids, so I thought I'd be a school counselor. So I went back to school and got my degree in counseling, my master's, and realized that it's a lot of red tape. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, while I was trying to figure all this out, I was having my own kids, and I realized that it's a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. So I started going to parenting classes myself started teaching the parenting classes, and then went out on my own after my third was born. Three weeks into having my third baby, I started a business. 
so it's been, uh, yeah, over 10 years and, um, it's great. I'm a super type eight Enneagram. So I'm a business owner married to a business owner and that's, that's how we roll. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my personal why is I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I never really think about that because it's like the only thing I'm good at. And I just see it as trying to kick the can down the road in just supporting help people and just kind of having this very brief time on this earth that I have leaving some amount of good, right? While providing for my family. So yeah, I like to make people laugh and I like to just bring a lot of humanity to this parenting work. And that's, that's my why. Ask me again in a couple of months, it might be different. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. And uh, yeah, humanity, it's such a, a great word. And I really, that's really the tone that I felt come through the book that we're going to be talking about today. It really felt comforting. And it did make me laugh out loud. And it was very different than so many parenting books that I read. And I read a lot of them. I'm sure you do too. I kind of read all the parenting books. And uh, I just really appreciated it. So let's start there. So you have a new book out today. It's called Parenting Outside the Lines, Forget the Rules, Tap into Your Wisdom and Connect with Your Child. So Tell us maybe briefly how the book came about and what you hope it does in the world. So this book was funny. Um, I submitted a proposal and uh, the editors from Torture Peregy were, I, I think I said that right, they came back and they were like, so this is as boring as we could ever imagine anything being. Wow. <laughs> It was essentially like how to get through the day with your young child. And even while I was writing it, I'm like, oi, like snooze a rom, right? So (laughs) they were like, we just want a book that sounds like you. So I did. I essentially wrote a book about what parents talk to me about every single day, right? So I get parenting questions from my clients. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of parents I've worked with for, well, since like 1998. All I've done is work with kids and parents. And then the Washington Post, I get tons of questions. So I just kept thinking about what are people constantly asking me about? And what is the the theme that seems to run through it? So it's a book I wanted to have like some amount of detail, but as you know, there's already so many good parenting books on how to, there's a lot of um, detailed parenting books. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my book to be that I, there is some detail in the book, like how to, I don't even, not that many, really, but a little, I really wanted it to be more like, here's your average scenario. Here are some questions to ask yourself about it, so that you can better understand yourself and your child mostly yourself, because I'm a parent coach, not a child coach. Right. So my hope is that the book, you know, every great book I've ever read, there's always been at least one part where I just kind of sit back and go, huh, huh, 
right? <laughs> it's rarely that the whole book changes my life. It's, it's usually like one or two things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if that my book does that, that's enough. If my book provokes you or you get mad at me, that's also great. If my book invites you to look at your your own past and how it's living in your present, awesome. If my book frees you to stop reading parenting junk, all the better. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, whatever you take from it, it's kind of like, as you know, when you release something, that's done. And so however it hits people is is theirs. Um, my dream is that somebody reads it and says to their friend, I just read this book. It didn't suck. You should read it. <laughs> and just passes it off, right? I'm really low expectations. I love it. It's great. It's great. Well, you know, I just, and I wanted some funniness and I wanted my own life to be a little bit on display because no matter what, and I'm sure you sometimes get this too in your work, people can't believe how human we are. Mm -hmm. The number one thing I hear is you're so relatable, right? And I'm like, who are you talking to? Everyone should be relatable. If you're listening to somebody who isn't relatable, they're lying Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Or you've built a story about them in your mind. Right. What I I'll just say what I liked about it. And and then I want to go into some of the chapters and some of the concepts that jumped out at me. But one of the things I liked about it so much is that you covered things that I don't think I've seen in other books before. Like it wasn't a typical you know, unfolding of the table of contents. And, you know, it, it, you really went into some areas that I really appreciated, including even just theories that parenting theories and like, you don't actually have one and that that's okay. Um, you have some great chapters on sibling stuff, which I do want to talk with you about, because that's a huge issue for so many families who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And also just the, the work that we're doing on ourselves, you have a whole chapter on apologizing. Like I just, it was really unexpected to me. Uh, it just felt very fresh. I um, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, I'm, you've probably found this too, is that parenting has become very theory driven or uh, trend driven. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like maybe we're moving away from it. But when I started having my kids, it was very like, are you positive? Are you mindful? And I just just like, what is that garbage? What what is this? Not that those actual theories are that. I just began to to see a very clear through thought of when the parent decided their theory over the needs of their child. Disaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the majority of people who hire me are positive parents. So everybody asks me, like, oh, man, you must get like people beating their kids, just total wrecks, right? And I'm like, no, they're mostly mindful, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like what I'm actually coaching around is mostly people who are now afraid of their, of their kids or 
even worse, afraid of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And because a lot of us were not given what we needed, and, you know, God bless all our parents, they did their best, meow, meow, meow. You know, we're either going with that or we're going against it. And in the pursuit of not recreating misery, parents have swapped in positivity. Um, positivity is not a, a, a way to be. <laughs> Say right? more about it's, that. <laughs> it's So like, I love, I'm not actually a positive person, but I'm friends with a lot of positive people and it, it has its place as does sorrow, as does anger, as does frustration, as does joy. And so when we kind of whitewash parenting and everything, how we're supposed to react and proact and everything is positive, then we necessarily negate all those other necessary feelings and emotions and even reactions. So parents are kind of doubling down on themselves. First of all, they might be going against who they are with all this positivity. And second of all, then they kind of create a nightmare and can't believe it. So I just didn't want the parenting book to, look, here's my thing. If you're a positive parent or a mindful parent or a conscious parent, I don't know. By the time somebody reads this, it'll be something else. But if you do that and it works, rock on. And by working, it means, you know, 70 to 75% of the time, things are basically okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. If it's not working, I would just, I, I want the book to invite everyone to look at the disconnect, right? To say, what am I trying to put on myself that isn't true? What am I afraid of? Am I afraid of upset? Am I afraid of apologizing? Am I afraid of raising my voice? Right? Because now we're not allowed to raise our voice. Mm -hmm. Right? We're not allowed to stand somewhere and say, stop it. Mm -hmm. Or no, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Now mm -hmm. that's, so my invitation is like, stop looking always to other people or other theories or another blog or another BuzzFeed list and like, look in yourself. Okay. What is happening every time we get in a fight about toothbrushing? What is actually happening instead of trying to not find another fix? Yeah. So I just kind of want everyone to back away from the only thing I believe in, which is kind of the theory of the book, is the power of connection, which doesn't always show up positively. Mm. And you have a teen, so you know of what I speak. Yeah. Right? When when you dub when you say no to the tech, because you're saying yes to the two of you connecting, that doesn't appear positive. That, that that's not even received positively. The fruits of that labor are so far down the road, we may not even see it, right? So somebody will say, well, that's not a positive connection. Well, I don't like how that feels, to which I say, I know, but that's the work. Mm -hmm. I like what you said about not recreating misery. Like, I think that so many of us go into this parenting gig, right? With a clear idea of the kind of parent we're going to be. And I, and yeah, you're right. It's either in a 
we want to do the opposite of how we were raised because we want to just do things very differently or we're embracing that. But we, we tend to then spend a lot of time not trusting ourselves. And you talk a lot about that. I, I really appreciated the focus that you spent on the parent trusting their intuition and tuning in with themselves. I'm wondering, you know, when you work with clients, is this a thing you have to retrain parents to do to trust their instincts and and tap into that intuition? Yes. And you know, you've been a part of this world a long time. There's always what parents are telling me and then what they're saying. And so I can pretty quickly gauge how in touch people are with themselves. Um, And some of the parents that call me, like me, are full tilt neurotic, which means that you know yourself enough to know you're making mistakes and you know you need like, mm-hmm. <laughs> layers and layers of self-knowledge, which is like maybe the worst thing ever, right? This constant reflection on yourself about yourself and for yourself, right? And then um, there's some parents who are really blind to it. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been shaming my child about this thing. And it's completely correlated to how I feel about failure or success or what a good kid looks like. And so every parent that comes to me is somewhere in that soup. So we we always start with, okay, you say you care about this topic. Do you care or do you think you should care? Is it a problem or do you think it is a problem? Sometimes we just don't even know what that means, mm-hmm. right? It's usually around um, for the little littles, you know, the three, the three horsemen of the apocalypse of parenting, which is, you know, sleeping, eating and toileting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we could come together and write the book that would solve those billionaires totally. and there are. Yes. 100,000 books written on the subject. Mm -hmm. Maybe none of them have ever helped anyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I've I've owned them all. Um, And and it kind of comes down to you you can't force kids to do any of those things without it being a social services issue. And this is kind of where we meet our first set of parenting expectations you know, he's old enough to, I've made this wonderful food now, you know, you should, you know, I I bought you the beautiful bed and the alarm that makes you stay in bed in the morning. Oh Lord. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes they say, I just want him to sleep in my bed with me. And I say, then, then go ahead. Why not? Mm-hmm. Well, my mom, my sister, my pediatrician. Okay. But you've also just been through a horrific divorce. And your son is feeling upside down. And you've moved. So is this okay for right now? Yeah, it is okay for right now. Okay. Because we also then maybe need to accept that not every decision we make is forever. The idea of changing our minds does not connect with parents anymore Mm. of saying, okay, one day, and then changing your mind down the road. We think if we say, okay, to our kids, like then it's like written stone. Right. 
Yeah, everything feels like it's the biggest decision, you know, and we have to get it right. Oh, my God. When I let my oldest teenager get on Snapchat, I literally the next day was like, is somebody sending you pictures of Janitalia yet? And she was like, Mom, what (laughs) are you talking about? But I was like, this is it. I've invited all the bad people in. Right. Mm -hmm. I saw this as a decision of momentous trauma, problem, um, mistrust, uh, opening the floodgates. And of course, I was parenting myself as a teen because I was a disaster. Mm. Right. So my husband had to take me aside. Still does every day. So by the way, the kids aren't you. (laughs) Right. Yep. So yeah, back to your original question. Um, The parents and I really have to go through what our values actually are by our and theirs. Because I don't actually have too many opinions in people's values. As long as we're not openly beating or shaming kids. And I do love science. So, you know, I will say, well, you know, here's kind of what data shows works for this type of kid. But I don't know your kid. You do. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm just trying to hone in on what the parents want and need for their kids. Mm-hmm. And that's different for every family. Yeah, exactly. And as you were answering that, I was thinking about one of the chapters in my book is about question everything you thought you knew about parenting. And it it really seems like such a radical concept, because especially for first time parents, we just don't know what we don't know. We trust people. We don't trust ourselves. And so I love this idea of even just starting with their values and and going there and like, what is important to you? You know, your kid becoming fluent in who your child is like, and, and even that answer about should they sleep in my bed or not? That's totally your call. What does your child need? And it's just it seems radical. And so simple, right to parent that way. Yeah. And it's, I have a lot of empathy for parents because, you know, and I'm sure you you find this a lot. Things aren't working. They know that. And I say, you know, listen, you didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to destroy my parenting life and create misery. Here we go. I was like, you know, it's death by a million cuts. And the very sources you're reaching for to help you are making it worse because they're not rooted in anything you believe may be true or you don't know why. And that's also not necessarily their fault. I mean, America has monetized fear just the way we've monetized being fat and getting skinny, being poor and getting rich. We've monetized parenting and more important fear, Mm -hmm. more importantly. And so I struggle with that. I'm actually like, part of that (laughs) and but I do want parents to always be returning to the idea of even when you don't have the answers that is an answer right 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 like every time I've stood outside my kid's room like I don't know what to do like I have a whole chapter on the unseen moments of parenting all the things you don't do You know, there's not a lot out there about that because that doesn't sell. (laughs) It's not sexy, Mm -hmm. right? It's not a jar. It's not a list. It's 
just what happens when you don't decide to do harm. Right. So it's a tough one. But I feel like people that like we're taping this during COVID, I feel like that's changing a lot of lives. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, God willing, we'll all be around how our family lives are changed in this country for the better and for the worse um, as a result of all the things that have been stripped from us. Yeah. There are a lot of great quotes in your book. And one of them that I had written down that I wanted to just share with you that I loved is feeling unsure is not a sign of weakness. Feeling unsure is a sign that you are parenting. And that, that for me, I was like that you just nailed it. That feeling of uncertainty. Am I doing this wrong? That's what it means to be a parent. And I just love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, just like you mentioned before, when we have the kids, that uncertainty is as threatening as any feeling we've ever had, right? When you are holding your new baby or when you, you know, a lot of parents call me because I'm the next to last step on the road to diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? They've called the pediatrician. The pediatrician has recommended a therapist. The therapist has recommended, right? I'm one in a long line before it ends at a psych eval or a neuropsych. Or, and I'm kind of holding their hand. And they're just desperate for anything else but a diagnosis. And so I keep saying, you know, I know you don't want all this uncertainty and I know you want answers, but this is parenting. Like this is not the failure. This is the, this is you one step in front of another. And so all this doubt and uncertainty and fear is building all the resilience you'll need. You just don't even know yet. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see that as my job is telling them or reminding them like no 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 like let's keep going let's keep going like this isn't the end whatever you think is happening or this isn't the failure or and even what somebody says about your kid that's also just a word right like we all go home and have to parent the kid right (laughs) so i want parents to embrace struggling not knowing not having answers. And instead of turning the spotlight onto how to change my child or I need another list or I need another expert to look inside and say, what is my struggle about? What's hurting me here? Right. Is there anything I can do about it or not? Mostly not. Right. But sometimes, you know, maybe just laying on the floor and breathing, right? Mm -hmm. But um, just kind of taking stock because I live like you do, but I uh, in New York and I live in a city and I coach a lot of people that just are ready for the next thing, the next fix, the next solution. And that's also our, I don't know what created what. I don't know if the culture created the parents like this or the parent keeps creating the culture, but we're caught in a cycle. So it's a tough one. It is. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. 
And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. You talked about the fact that you write reminders to yourself to help you stay true and tapped into your tuition about the kind of parent you wanted to be. And, you know, modeling what you were just talking about, that this is just showing up and doing the work and it's not, this is the work on ourselves. And I actually wanted to read one of them, if that's okay. And then I'd love to hear about that. Because for me, especially with the parents who listen to the show, we are always wanting to know, how do I show up for this kid when I'm feeling like a failure, when it feels like every day we're going into battle or, you know, it's just so hard and you write reminders. And so this one that I, that I had pulled out from your book, a letter you wrote to yourself, you said, dear Megan, please be kind and allow Sophia to choose her own clothing, even if in that choosing, she never gets out of her pajamas. And when she refuses to put on normal clothing, smile and say, awesome, time for waffles. Mean it when you say it, hug her. 
love a Megan. And I loved that so much. Yeah. You know, and you know this very well from your work and your parenting life. Um, Like the same brain that tortures itself can't always remember to help itself. We know that from our kids, whether the kids are, you know, neurotypical or not. Right. We know that kids have amazing intentions and can't follow through for a variety of reasons. The basic one being immaturity. Right. Which is normal. And by normal, I mean typical. Right. But the same is true for adults. We're doing so many things, so many more things than our parents were doing often, not always. And yet we will shame ourselves for forgetting um, what to say or how to be or what to do. And so simply writing notes wherever I will see them is like a little mini frying pan to my head every time. Oh, right. I want that. You know, as simple as leaving like beautiful peeled cucumber on the counter or Cheetos. I'll eat either because basically (laughs) humans are animals. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So I got to throw myself a bone and leave the cucumbers. And sometimes if I want the Cheetos, put out the Cheetos. So like uh, my middle, I didn't know what was up with her. She was just born different. And I knew that. But in good parent and the expert that I am, I largely ignored that um, and because I was too busy helping other people. And so finally, <laughs> I knew she was anxious, but she's also pretty profoundly gifted. And we finally like tested that. And again, I know, right? In my head, I know, but in my heart, I don't, right? But I know that moving her from A to B when she gets hyper-focused, she looks, for instance, she's 13. She should be able to move from one thing to another without the reminders, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. right? She Mm -hmm. should be able to, but that's not how her brain works. So for a long time, I've had notes up, right? That would say, um, go and touch her which would mean hand on the shoulder, down on my knee, and a smile in my eyes, right? Go, go touch her. Because then I would stop screaming because I'm an expert at screaming from room to room. (laughs) Oh, give me a four floor house. And I'm like hollering my head off, right? (laughs) So I needed that note and I still need that note. And sometimes I still hang it up. Because, you know, she's, you know, heads heads and tails academically above, but then sometimes it's like a 10-year-old or 9-year-old, right? That, that differential between the intellectual uh, capacity and then her ability to transition or hone in or refocus. And so those notes are needed constantly. I have notes even for parenting a teen that... Um, I would write notes and and I, as they get older, I wouldn't want them to find them or I would code them. So I had a note that said, um, have fun, which would mean to have fun with her, Mm. you know, do a TikTok with her or, um, just get into what she's into. Mm -hmm. It just clues my brain because again, I'm not a naturally positive person. 
So I would need to be thrown back into positivity. For some parents I'm wor- uh, I work with, um, ironically, most parents call me because they don't know how to hold a boundary. So then we have to come up with words around holding boundaries or notes. Or I'm a big fan of iPhone alerts and, and just a pop-up of what a boundary looks like, right? Because it's... Uh, and and how you hold a boundary with each of your children, even within one family, looks different. Right. And then you'll read something, oh, well, holding a boundary with an ADHD could, it looks like this. Maybe. But maybe not. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're also their own people. Yeah. With their own set of hormones and, you know, temperaments. So, yeah, I find writing notes as a, as a kindness to our parenting brains especially if you have been doing one thing one way for a long time. Because uh, we'll always go back into the kabuki theater of um, we do A, the kid does B, then we all fight about C, then we go back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So I did want to ask you a little bit about siblings. You have at least one chapter devoted to siblings. And this is a challenge for so many families. I, as the parent of a only child, I always feel kind of at a loss when when this comes up when I'm talking to groups of parents, because I can't personally relate to this. And so I would love to know what some of your strategies, I don't know if strategies is the right word, but you know, when there yeah. are imbalances, maybe in the household in the way that kids are showing up and and therefore the attention that parents are focusing on different kids within a family is something that really causes a lot of stress for so many families, as well as kind of the interpersonal dynamic between the kids and one influencing the other. Like, do you have any best practices or maybe one or two best practices you can share when you work with families dealing with this? Um. It's just so, and I, I say a little bit about it in the book. Um, we're not going for fairness. We're not going for equality. It, it just never works out like that. At any given point, one child needs more than another. And in some families, one child always needs more than the rest. And so the first best practice is to just embrace the reality of your family. Right. Stop equalizing. If you have, you know, a kid with different diagnoses and then you have a kid with different, you know, a physical issue and you have a kid with a, you know, whatever, um, that is what it is. So when the kids are like, this isn't fair, you're like, you're darn tootin' it ain't. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing to say it's not fair. Because life isn't fair, and we don't really need to teach that if we just let life be all lifey, mm-hmm. right? So the best practice is don't imagine anything other than what you have in front of you at any given day. The second thing is to um, I have in the book like a basic list of just stop what you're doing. Like so to begin. Whatever the fights are and however you're reacting, stop that. Push pause on your reaction. So if the kids um, always come home and fight, 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 
and you always go in and scream, scream, scream. And usually the go-to for parents is ripping technology away, but stop that. And that will give you a chance to start to look at, okay, they always do this. I always do that. And then when I do that, it gets worse, right? Or when I tell the one kid, you can't treat your little sister like that, then this happens. Or when I do, right? Because it's not working. Because if it worked, then they wouldn't have bought the book. They wouldn't be listening to this podcast. There'd be no problem. And then I have a list of questions like, and as you know, are they just hungry? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Hunger, exhaustion. (laughs) It's like 90% of our broad problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Just not being well fed and not having enough rest. I see in my work, I'm always asking parents, have we unintentionally or intentionally created competitions? There's so much comparisons and not like in that after school special way where one kid is like locked in a box and the other kid is put up on a, on a throne, but in very subtle ways that still cause a tremendous amount of fighting. Yeah. Um, I'm also always inviting parents. I'm, or I'm, looking to see what is your comfort level with discomfort because when humans live together there's a lot of friction so a lot of parents i mean have this really unrealistic idea that the kids are gonna get along mm-hmm. <laughs> like all the time and the dad is like no so how can we make friends with friction And I try to also really empower parents. Again, the vast majority of parents I speak to, I do know that a lot of parents react, you know, violently in words and and, um, physically and all kinds of ways. But the vast majority of parents I speak to are not meaning to be, but super wishy. Just like, stop. Guys, that's mean. You know, don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're not, there isn't a lot of strong leadership. So my best practice is for family meeting and the family meeting is really, really rough because if you've never done a family meeting and then you start one and you're like, Hey, you guys treat each other like crap. We can't do it anymore. Let's be nice to each other. It's going to be like deuces. I'm out. Right. Mm-hmm. So j- simply starting a family meeting where everyone just has a laugh and you finish it with Oreos and you go to bed. Cultivating connection and good mojo is your first step toward helping siblings and also connecting with each sibling one-on-one. And I also always invite parents to let the one child complain about the other. Mm. Always. Mm -hmm. So my youngest is always just, so I'll walk and I'll be like, man, being a little sister sucks. She's like, it's the worst. My sisters are the worst. And I'll be like, yeah, I see it. <laughs> I'm allowing your child to vent about their real emotions. And have, and you, you don't have to go down the hole with them. Like, yeah, your sisters are awful people. I don't know what's happened. But just being a safe container for all that frustration your child doesn't feel the need to um, fight it out as much. And they feel like they have your ear. They matter. 
especially if there's a child at home who takes up a lot of attention because of different issues. It, it's really, really, really frustrating. It's frustrating in our family that my middle gifted child seems to get treated differently because she does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to walk and talk that out with the kids a lot. That was super helpful. We'll be right back after this quick break. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. It's really always coming back to the things that we can do, right, as parents and and always starting with with what we thought this was going to look like or what the picture we have in our head versus what's actually happening. And so I really appreciate those those strategies that you shared. Thank you for that. So, I really just wanted to touch upon you have a chapter it's called Is it too late now to say sorry? And <laughs> I'm a huge fan of repairing. I think, you know, I'm I'm well versed at repairing. I apologize a lot. Uh, I've learned to do that. <laughs> and I and I think it's also where some of the most beautiful moments that I've had with my son have happened in the aftermath of a situation where I've apologized and we've kind of connected on a deeper level. I would love to mm-hmm. hear why you wanted to include you know, that chapter, why you think it's so important uh, for parents to be able to apologize, to say sorry. Oh, it's so vulnerable. It's so vulnerable. And the simplicity of an apology, it's just its deepest simplicity makes it the hardest thing to do for so many parents. And I have a lot of empathy because a lot of us just were not brought up being apologized to. We were not brought up being apologized to almost by any adults in our lives. Uh, teachers, 
coaches, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. That was just not the normed parenting way. Why would you apologize to a child? Right? You would just say something like, well, you know, I didn't mean it, or I'm sorry if you took that wrong, right? right? Which is the blame apology, Mm -hmm. Um, the politician's apology. But the beauty is, is that, and sometimes when I read parenting books and when I listen to things, I see a lot of strategies and um, scripts and things to say in place of a heartfelt apology. And the humility of the apology forces the parent to take that butt out. And also, maybe we don't have to make everything in teaching opportunity. Like, I just feel like sometimes all we are told to do as parents is, well, you know, what am I teaching my child? And what do I expect them to learn here? And how do I expect them to be? And how about we just own our stuff, say, I'm sorry, and move it along. It just, not everything has to be a thing. Right. (laughs) Right? And the hard thing about an apology too is beyond its vulnerability is that you won't always see the fruits of this labor in ways that you think, maybe for a couple of years. So if you start it when the child's very young, you know, you might be thinking, I'm just sitting here like a chump apologizing to this kid, and, you know, they're the jerk. And but it's coming, right? It really, really manifests if you give it some time. Um, it also manifests if you look for the small details. So when you apologize apologize and it's from your heart, you will often, not always, the child will meet your eyes. And you will see a flicker of, oh, my mom or my dad is being real here. Like they're not trying to get one more thing out of me, right? They're not trying to get me to say something or be a different person or da-da-da. Like they're showing up just to say sorry. And if you can get that flicker of recognition in a child, and again, it, it comes through in different ways. Some kids aren't big eye contact makers, so it might just be silence. might be a feeling in their body that they may get closer to you, right? Um, if you can cultivate that, what you're cultivating, like you just said, is deep connection and deep trust. And more importantly, you are raising a human that can give that to other humans, which then it it undoes all these other needs for all these other strategies and scripts and perfectionism, right? All the perfectionism we put on ourselves as parents, all the things that we, you know, it's kind of, you know, like, it's like bad diets, you know, you can't eat a donut. So all you do is think about donuts, right? All the parents, I can't yell. I'm like, what are you a friggin' robot? Like, you're gonna yell. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's have a practice of apologizing. And yeah, we'll work on the yelling. But it just there's so much humanity in it. And there's so much vulnerability in it that it's it can be highly threatening to a lot of parents' nervous systems. So sometimes we have to go slow. 
Sometimes we have to go gentle. I love Dr. Newfeld's work. He always says that he wishes humans came with the the lights on their heads, red, yellow, green, mm-hmm. right, for when to proceed. So if I hurt your feelings and then I come in hot with an apology, but you're not ready to receive it, you'd show up as red or yellow. And so I think if we get in the practice of apologizing, then we even learn when. When is our child able to receive it? Just because we want to give it doesn't mean they're ready to receive it. Yeah. Which is so, that's so hard. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm ready to give you something, then you better be ready to receive it. (laughs) So it's just one of the most powerful things you can do for another human is to offer as much of a real apology as you can. And and I say in the chapter, sometimes I really just don't feel all that sorry. I really think that my kid deserves what I gave him, but um, I deep down know that I'm the adult. It's always my responsibility to be better, be better, always. Yeah. Well, in the chapter, you you said that it's never our kids' responsibility to come to us first, and and I think even it's important to state that because sometimes when we are feeling hurt or that our if if that's our pattern, right, to to hold a grudge or to to ground into that. But it's like, no, we're the adults here. And it's always our job to show up to do that. Yeah. And you know, and I'm sure that in your work and in all everything that you do, parents do believe they're showing up. I mean they do. Right? Uh, um and they they are. It, it's just like you said Sometimes we're really not aware of our different biases and expectations. And if we could just consciously drop that, just, you know, as soon as it, well, he needs to come and tell, no, he doesn't. Right. And she needs to, no. But boy, is that mature work. Yep. That's, that's, uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I wrote a book about it, but yeah. The work continues. I always say we get lots of opportunities to practice and (laughs) do the work. The struggle is real. It is indeed. Yeah. So good. So good. So, well, before we go again, listeners, Megan's brand new book as of today out in the world is Parenting Outside the Lines. And where can people connect with you? Where's the best place to follow your work and your social media, all that good stuff? Yeah, so... M- ML Parent Coach everywhere. So Megan Leahy Parent Coach, it just comes across as ML Parent Coach. That's Twitter, which is, you know, a garbage fire, but I'm on there. Um, Instagram, Facebook, um, and MLParentCoach.com is my website, and that has all my services. I'm doing a monthly Q&A, which is pay what you can in the time of COVID. So, you know, $5 a month, you know, uh, as little as that. So there's something for everybody there. And that's where also you can order my book. Awesome. Well, listeners, as always, I will have links to all of that in the show notes page. And I definitely recommend that you check out Megan's book. As you can hear, she keeps it real and is very, yeah, it just feels again, like you're sitting down with a friend and you feel very seen through the pages of this book and you'll get in a few laughs as well. So I just want to say congratulations again on the book and thank you for coming by and sharing all of this with us today and taking so much time to talk uh, on the show today. 
Thank you. And I'd like to personally thank you for all of the good work you do, all of the people you find to talk to. You've helped so many people and you probably know that, but thank you very much for everything you do. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.